we got one goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, welcome to the podcast, Golf, Drinking, and Life. My name's Colin McKern. I'm a PGA member from Mobile, Alabama, and I'm your host. My co-host is my brother, Corey McKern. He's a professional opera singer from Pensacola, Florida. Corey? Yeah, happy to be here. Definitely not a PGA professional, uh, but uh, and, looking forward to it. And I am definitely not a singer, so that works out well. We've got kind of a wide range of uh, talents covered here. That's right. So I'm just going to go over a little bit what what how we feel this podcast is going to go and what we what this co- podcast is going to be about. Obviously, the title "Golf, Drinking, and Life" um, encompasses golf, drinking, and life's a pretty broad subject. So basically, we're open to any anything. Um, we're going to try to stick you know to to a lot about golf and to a lot about about my um, recovery and my history of drinking. So I'm going to kind of start there with my uh, backstory a little bit. Um, and I'm going to start with the last year and then kind of go backwards. And then, Corey, we'll get to you and and, and your background into yeah, this sure. before um, we're going to um, eventually do a U.S. Senior Open uh, review from last week. And then the Open Championship starts tomorrow. So we're going to um, kind of talk about that and talk about our favorites and some of the other stuff going on. But uh, um, it, it, I know one thing. It's hotter than Hades here in Mobile, Corey. Oh, Lord. Yeah. It's a brutal time of year. You forget in January how insanely hot it's going to be in July. It is. And I kind of make, um, I, I am a assistant professional at Isaiah City Golf Course, and I kind of make fun of the customers when they come in and talk about it being hot, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much. It is July in the south, so when we are as far south almost as you can get without getting into the, the Florida proper, um, so... It's uh, it's that time of year for us. The good thing about that is you can play plenty of golf. You just got to be willing to sweat it out. Well, also in the south down here, we love to complain about how hot it is. It's well, like, especially the humidity, right? It's not the heat, oh, it's, it's the humidity. No, and it's our favorite pastime. I'm, it's Absolutely. like we're all martyrs because of the heat. It, it is, and, and, and I'll complain about it right now because today I played golf, and I was soaking wet the whole day, and that's why I'm riding in a cart, folks. So um, it's not like I'm out there toting my bag and walking, but. So anyway, I mentioned I mentioned that I am uh, I'm actually just over a year sober. Um, I am recovering from a a, um, a a very bad addiction to alcohol that's that's lasted the better part of thirty years. Um, it didn't start uh, it started thirty years ago and obviously progressed as I um, got closer to the end. So last year I was diagnosed with severe cirrhosis of the liver and was hospitalized for nearly 10 days. Um, I actually had to take an ambulance to the hospital. Finally, I'd lost weight. I'd got down to 152 pounds, which my normal weight, I think I started that whole process at about 195. I I think it's closer to 400, but whatever you want to say for the guest. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, so 152, I'm six feet tall. That was, uh, that was pretty slender, and um, I, I had uh, ascites, which is when your stomach flares up. So if, if any of you have ever seen the videos of children who are starving in Africa and you see their real skinny skeleton body with the belly poking out, that's exactly what I looked like. Um, very painful, very uncomfortable. Finally got to the point where I just – I was waiting for doctor's appointments and and I just couldn't wait anymore. I had a bad day. It was uh, I think it, it might have been the Fourth of July proper, actually. 
um, when, when I ended up having to call the ambulance and went to the hospital. So anyway, right, I'm now, um, a year sober and, um, it has, um, been a little bit of a comeback because of, uh, when I first came back to work, I was very fragile and, and fell, slipped and fell in the hallway and had a slap tear in my shoulder, which is similar to, to a, um, rotator cuff tear. Um, so we did some physical therapy for that and I've managed to put on some weight. I'm back up to about 180 right now. I've been anywhere between 180 and 185. So, um, I, I am on the men a little on the mend a little bit. So, um, just a little bit about my golf background, then we'll get into Corey's singing background. Um, that the name of this episode is meet your hosts. So that's how we're going to start. Um, I started playing golf when I was 10 years old. We had moved from Indianapolis to Birmingham, Alabama. It was a huge um, shock for us uh, moving to the South, not knowing what to expect, especially at 10 years old. Your mind goes all, all different kinds of places. But one of the first. And we were born in Indianapolis, Indiana, and all of our family is from there. So we were Midwestern to begin with. Correct. Parents from there lived there their whole lives. My dad worked for UPS and got transferred. Um when I was 10 and Corey was seven, Corey's three years younger than me. And um, so the, one of the first things that I remember when we moved to Birmingham was our grandfather, who we called Pop, who was a big golfer and a big drinker. So he fits right into this podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry he's not here to be on it with us. Yes, Pop is no longer with us. Um, but uh, he took me to Oak Mountain State Park, which at the time was one of the top 25 public courses in the country. It's an Earl Stone design in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, it, it's a, it, it's a, it's a pretty neat golf course. It's a classic kind of old style design. It's flat for Birmingham because it sits in a valley. Um, kind of reminded me at least most of my growing up is kind of a U.S. open course because it's just flat dog legs and elevated greens. Um, but I remember him taking me out and we hit some range balls, I think. And on the third hole, I, I hit some kind of five wood or something, got it, flew it over two creeks, and I was pretty much hooked after that. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to become a decent junior golfer and be able to get a scholarship to uh, University of South Alabama here in Mobile, Alabama, which is what brought me to Mobile originally, um, where we, we ended up having a, um, a, a really good golf team at South Alabama. We were Division One, which is the reason why I came to South Alabama. I didn't have a lot of offers. I wasn't that kind of high school golfer. I think I had one better offer to Jacksonville state, but Jacksonville state at the time was, um, was division two or division three, whatever that was back then they were not division one. So I chose to come to South Alabama. Um, <clears throat> while I was at South Alabama, I managed uh, to be a two time all Sunbelt conference selection. Um, we've won the Sunbelt conference tournament three of my four years there. Um, I met a, teammate who was one year younger than me, but I redshirted. So we ended up being the same playing class and his name was Heath Slocum. He's won about five tour events, including uh, the Barclays um, tour championship, right? Or the, no, it wasn't the tour championship, the FedEx Cup playoff, first stage of the FedEx Cup playoffs where he made that putt on 18 to edge out like Tiger Woods and Ernie Els. I can't remember exactly. There were like three, it would have been a four way playoff if he doesn't make this 30 foot putt to win that year. Um, so we were pretty fortunate to have Heath on the team. And so my career in college kind of um, was was okay. Um, Heath was excellent, obviously. And um, we, um, we we had a really good team. We were able to compete and beat a lot of SEC schools. 
Um, never quite made it to nationals. We made it to regionals two, uh, three times, I believe, and missed my junior year. We missed nationals by three shots. Um, so I was lucky enough as a junior. I was lucky enough over the course of my amateur career to play in two USGA events. I played in the US Junior Amateur, um, and I also played in the US Public Link. So I was very fortunate in that. And as a professional, I did make it to the second stage of the US Open qualifying, which was at Bay Hill, which is where they play the Homer Invitational. And um, I was actually, that's 36 holes in one day walking. I was actually four under through the first eight holes at Bay Hill, which is a very difficult golf course. And this was pre-Pro V1. And what I mean by that is that was, this was before the ball technology was, this is when like 280 yards was the, was the number one player on the tour averaged. Right. Um so we were playing a lot of balls back then, and and that golf course was long. Anyway, we ended up having like a two-hour rain delay, and I, I did, did not qualify for the Open that year. But just to let you know, people who don't know about the second stage of U.S. Open qualifying, Ricky Fowler was in the second stage of U.S. Open qualifying this year and missed by a shot. So when oh, you wow. get to second stage, you start running into some some really good tour players. Um, so it was, it was a very, very cool experience. I participated in – PGA Tour School three times. PGA Tour School, for those of you who don't know, is actually the qualifying tournament to get to the PGA Tour. There's three. There were back then. There were three stages. I never advanced past the first stage. Um, after that, I kind of backed into the club pro business, as I would call it. Where, um, and that that's what I'm a member of now. I'm a member of the PGA of America, which is the club club pros it's not limited to club pros that's the old adage but i mean there there are all kinds of different careers that you can be a pga member now whether it's college golf coach or um sales rep or um work for the pga tour i mean there's all kinds of different um things you can do and be a pga member these days so um i kind of backed into the golf business at the course i played in mobile they were hurting for an assistant pro one of the buddies i played golf with was the head pro he asked me did i want the job told me it was a you know, working for the city of Mobile was good benefits. So I took it and here I am 21 years later and I am at Isaiah city. Now my career is working in the industry. I had I, I plenty think, of jobs at golf courses before that, but as a, as a golf professional. Were you still I, doing playing mini tours when you worked at Isaiah the first time? Um, no, by the time I started working at Isaiah city, I was done playing full time. Okay. So, yeah. So, Corey. So, Corey is a professional opera singer that lives in Pensacola. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Corey? Just let me set this up. Corey um, is a professor at the University of West Florida, and he's also the artistic director of the Pensacola Opera now, which his wife is the executive director of the Pensacola Opera, Chandra, a very talented couple. Uh, yeah, so I will be the artistic director. That's sort of a... Um the artistic director designate that will be coming in um, uh, in the next year or so. And yeah, you know, you and I bonded when we were kids, certainly over golf and then later over drinking, I would say. Um, but when you were 10 and started playing golf, I was seven when we moved to Birmingham. And, uh, uh, you know, I remember, you know, you remember Pop going out to Oak Mountain. I remember Dad going out with some friends and he was carrying an old set of clubs that someone had given him and he had some orange golf balls and he brought a giant cooler with him uh and he, he he was late i guess and walked out on the course uh for you know several holes before he found him 
So that was our kind of auspicious beginning. Once dad started playing, I think that the three of us kind of started playing. Um, uh, but I was not the national athlete that you were. You played basketball as a kid. Um, you're pretty good at baseball, as I recall. But basketball and golf kind of your sports. And you took up both of them pretty naturally. Um, and I loved golf. I had kind of a love-hate relationship with golf. I loved it, but I wasn't very good at it. Um, you know, at that time when I was 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, you know, I was wearing husky jeans and uh, hitting the ball in the woods. So while your game was sort of progressing, um, I was enjoying golf, and it was a big part of my childhood, but I certainly didn't take to it like you did. And later, when I was 15 or 16, we both worked at the – previously mentioned Oak Mountain State Park golf course. You first, and then I did. Um, you were fancy. You worked in the in the pro shop, uh, you know, selling people greens fees, and I worked on the range and uh, washing carts. Um, as a matter of fact, my nickname in high school is Cartman. That gives you an indication. <laughs> is that so, who they based the uh, South Park character on? Yeah, it could be. We looked similar. Uh, so... You know, although I do recall that you did work the range because you drove a tractor into a ditch. Um, yeah, so let's talk about that just for a minute. So, yeah, my, sure. yeah, yeah, the way my career got jump started is I was the um, I was the cart slash range person. I was 16 years old, I think, at the time. Minus, yeah, I think I was 16 when I started, and um, I, I did so well at the cart and the range that one day we we had a full size tractor at Oak Mountain, not the kind of tractor, you, not the kind of cart you see picking ranges today. We had like I mean, the real deal tractor where tires were taller than you. The tractor had a cage on top of it. And anyway, so we used to, the driving range tee was elevated. And on the right side of the driving range, if you're looking out over the driving range, there was the ball house. And there was about a 30 foot slope just on the, just past the ball house to the right that went down to the woods and the creek. And we used to pull that, the front of the, what we would call the picker, which picks up the range balls that's attached to the front of the tractor as close as we could to that door so we didn't have to walk too far to dump them into the machine, correct? Sure. Yeah. So one day I pulled it up a little bit too far. No one had ever trained me to set the brake on it. We just knew we had to put the tractor in neutral. And so I put the tractor in neutral and proceeded as I was unlocking the door, I heard something moving. Now picture this, at the time there were, um, Oak Mountain was packed golf courses in the late 80s. There were very few public courses. It was a top 25 course in the nation. <clears throat> we'd have a line out the door. So I had about 30 people waiting for range balls. That's what we did. We just drive, pick up range balls and it, they'd be empty as soon as we dump them. So I hadn't got one ball out of that range picker yet. As that thing starts moving, I see it start rolling. I make a futile attempt to stand in front of the tire for a second. And somebody else uh, <laughs> don't get ran over. And by, I jump out of the way and it crashes down the hill and all the balls go in the Creek. <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, there goes that job. But actually um, they went ahead and promoted me to the pro shop. Cause I, I think they were just happy that I didn't get hurt. And uh, so at that point they thought I would be better off in a pair of slacks with a cash register. Maybe I couldn't hurt anybody that way. Yeah. I guess there's more than one way to get a promotion. Yes. So that, that did work in my favor because I don't know about you, but as a kid, I, I, you know, we, we talked about the heat starting this off, but the, the funny thing about Oak mountain is our boss, Benny Smallwood, he would not let us wear, Shorts. Shorts. That's right. Yeah. So, but we could wear jeans, which is ridiculous to me. I mean, right. I can understand yeah. if we had to wear khaki pants, and it was a dirty job too, cleaning all those carts in the range. So we had to wear jeans all the time. So, 
getting in that air conditioner pro shop and being able to wear slacks and sweater vests and dress like a professional golfer, man, I thought I was in heaven. Oh and, yeah. It must've been nice, Colin. I was stuck downstairs and in the jeans, my whole Oak Mountain career. Appreciate you, um, you know, doing the things that I needed you to do as I also bossed you around from the air conditioning. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Uh, but yeah, so I, uh, you know, at that time of my life, although I wasn't great at it, I loved golf. And of course, when you're young, you work at a golf course, you get free greens fees. And I think carts were five bucks for us. So we had a bunch of great guys that worked there and I played all the time. I mean, the summer we'd play every day. After work, before work, playing our days off, play 36 holes. Um, and I, at that time, I was really sort of obsessed with golf. I loved it. And uh, uh, I, but I moved away from, I, I always played like Little League basketball and baseball. I played 65 pound football, which is where I peaked. Um, but, at, but I wasn't a great athlete, to be honest. And I eventually found my way to band. I uh, played the saxophone. That seemed like, uh, you know, I saw a kid play a saxophone solo in the jazz band when I was in elementary school and all the girls stood up and cheered and I thought well that's for me uh so I started playing saxophone and eventually got in the high school band and became the drum major and I'll never forget when I made drum major uh my big brother Colin said to me Corey if you're gonna be a geek be the king of them uh and and that's when I knew I'd made it um but I was always so I was very into that I was very musical at that time but I didn't sing at all and so when I graduated high school, I took a, a saxophone scholarship to Mississippi State because they have a, a professional golf management program. And I thought, well, maybe I can get my game better and take a first year of college. I'll take this scholarship and maybe I can get into that program. And then the first semester, I had to take a voice class and I started singing and kind of the rest was history. I sort of I realized I had a talent for it. I kind of fell in love with it. And I. I came home Christmas break our freshman year and told dad I wanted to be an opera singer. And he said, opera singer? Hell, I've never even heard your whistle. Uh, so that was my auspicious beginning. But from there, you know, I started singing. I eventually went to grad school um, at Indiana University, which is another part of our life because we were born in Indianapolis. We were always uh, huge Indiana basketball fans. So part of the reason Indiana is one of the top music schools in the world and it's certainly a great voice program but I was almost equally excited about the basketball. And uh, so it was a great fit for me and uh, went to grad school, met my wife there, graduated, got an agent, started singing and worked for a long time professionally. And then um, started having kids. We have two kids, nine-year-old and a four-year-old, got a job at university teaching, not unlike you um, getting into being a PGA pro. And uh, so life's good. I enjoy it. I, I like having the job at the university and I still sing a bit um, and I still play golf a bit, although it's been a little tough the last few years. But um, the last couple of times I've played, I've hit it OK. So there's always hope if you're a golfer. Well, yeah, amazingly enough, last time you came over and we unfortunately got rained out after what, three holes. Um, yeah. You start off pretty solid that day. You, you hit it well, which is um, um Something for our viewers to think about, you know, that that day I could tell what you were doing. I, I know there's always a little pressure on you when you come over here and play with me and the and, and some of the guys that we play with just because you don't play a lot. And so you get yeah, those, some pretty good golfers over there. You get those kind of nerves that I would get in a tournament um, because it's just not an arena you're used to being in. You're playing in front of different people. And um, but but you you were just kind of going through your basics and 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 staying focused on hitting the ball solid. And you, and you hit it really well for those four holes. Unfortunately, we didn't get to play more. 
because I think it rained and lightning about two inches on us. Remember, we pulled into the yeah. cart barn and it yeah. sounded like lightning hit the cart barn, I swear. Or maybe that was fortunate. Maybe I had three good holes in me and then the good Lord spared me uh, several double bogeys. It's possible. Um, you know, our plan for this podcast is to do it once a week. Um, at least starting off every Thursday, we'll, we'll make this podcast go live. It'll be on several different podcast platforms, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Pandora, iHeartRadio, um, and, and, and almost three or four or five others for sure. So it should be easy enough to find. Um, today, we are going to um, talk about a little bit more of my story about drinking. And Corey can chime in on some of this because he, sure. um, he, he he's not only witnessed that he's been a part of some of it. And, and, and I don't mean that to say that he's been responsible for it. It was definitely my, my responsibility, but so, you know, my, it was, it was, to me, it's funny. I, I, I was a pretty good kid in high school. I never drank when I say never. I mean, I may have had a couple of beers before I got to college, but I never, never drank to get drunk. I wasn't really sneaking, sneaking beer around in high school or anything. And there were certainly opportunities to do so because, um, uh, you know, our, our parents trusted us enough that they they left us at home alone quite a quite a bit um, when they would go on vacation and stuff. And the rule basically was, you know, um, you can kind of do what you want as long as you don't get in trouble. We were all pretty responsible. We all had jobs and, and, we, and we never really got in trouble in high school. Um, and so when I went to college, I was introduced to beer. Um, college golf was a lot different back then than it is now as far as, the, you know, we weren't. This was in 1991 when I went to South Alabama. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of fitness regimen going on. Um, there wasn't, um, it, it just wasn't, it, you know, Tiger Woods changed all that from his junior career all the way through college to the professional career. He, at each level, he changed the way players prepare for that level. I mean, I'm talking about he changed the way 10-year-olds prepare. He changed the way college programs are run. He changed the way other professionals um, treat their career now. And, 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 you know, people talk about that a little bit with Tiger, but, but not a ton. I mean, that's pretty amazing athlete to absolutely change the way the sport is done from junior golf all the way to the highest level. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so at South Alabama it was a little bit, it, it wasn't like it is now. Structure, Stru- regimented. Correct. So they don't have a whole lot of time to fool around like we did. And we, we were lucky in the spite of the drinking and fooling around we did that we ended up having a good team. Um, Hal Williams, who was our my first golf coach who recruited me. So anyway, my point to all this is Hal would recruit a, a large recruiting class every year. When I say large in golf, I mean, he might bring in six to eight players each year and hope that three or four of them would pan out. And then it kind of worked for us here. So my fir- first two years at South, I registered my first year, my second year I played and, and was able to play in a bunch of tournaments as a freshman. And then my third year, Hal Williams took a promotion in the athletic department and, and Greg Jones came on board in, um, in college. And, and so that's where my drinking really took off because the, yeah, so you met uh, Hal and you met Greg and you met beer. How did that sort of pan out? Yeah. Well, first of all, I went from 165 pounds when I enrolled in college to about 235 pounds within the first year, because you take away basketball I was a huge basketball player in high school and basketball was probably my first love, but I was just too slow and too short. I could shoot, but it took an act of Congress to get me open. 
And there was no way I was going to play college basketball, just not even close. So, well, you, you gained the freshman 75. It's perfectly normal. Yes, I did gain this freshman 75. So you take away basketball and add in beer, not to mention we also ate at the, the school cafeteria because we all lived on campus. So you also throw in three buffet meals a day. It's just not a good combination to stay fit. Yeah, right. Um, so it 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 was obviously well for for me in college it was more of a binge drinking type thing. We didn't drink every day, but when we drank, we certainly drank, and it wasn't just to have a couple beers to relax. I mean, we were you know like college students do. We were drinking and going out a bunch, and um, you know it's it it for me alcohol was just an easy fit from the moment it hit my lips. I couldn't get enough. And um, it just it, it progressed through the years. We'll tell more specific stories as this as this podcast goes on. And do you have any continues. do you have any thoughts about why that is? Why you sort of you know how that made you feel or what it provided you that kind of from the beginning that made you take to it? No, you know I don't know. It was to to go from one extreme to the other so quickly is odd as I look back on it. Um, but it just was one of those things at some point and, and you, you don't realize that it's happening to you, but at some point that became besides golf, which was really not a hobby. It was my, um, job, so to speak, even in college. Um, it, uh, what, you know, I had two hobbies, I guess it was golf and drinking. Hence right. part, the name of the podcast, but, yeah, I was uh, say, hence the name it, of the it, 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 but, but it really was, I mean, that, that's the truth. And, and, um, it, it, and it did turn into drinking every day, even in college a lot, not, not every day. I could still go a few days. It wasn't, I didn't get up in the morning and say I have to drink. I got up in the morning and chose to drink a lot. Not, and I don't mean to say in the morning at that stage, it wasn't, it wasn't that, but it was, it, it was definitely a daily thing. Even that early on, it just didn't have to be every day. If that makes sure. sense. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm saying where at the end of it, it was every day and it had to be every day. And yeah. So the, the way that kind of um, transpired over the 30 years, it was 30 years from the time I was in college till I got sober last year or till I started to be sober. Um, and, and it was at the end, then it was it was absolutely necessary for me to drink every day. The fortunate thing I did mostly throughout my career is I was I did not drink at work and I did not drink on the golf course for a long time. Um, it was only in the, in the last few years of. That, that I would drink on the golf course when I would play. And that was just to steady my nerves. Um, yeah. the, the only other time in the golf business that, that I would drink around work was obviously we're around. Um, we, we have a lot of nighttime functions and parties for, for members and tournaments. And so we would usually have a couple drinks um, during those, which was, which was acceptable in most places. And if it wasn't most of the, most of the pros would have styrofoam cups or whatever. We never got out of control at those parties or anything like that, but it was just part of the thing. So, um, so I was able to advance my career without getting in trouble of drinking because I didn't really drink at work. Sure. Um, but at some point it turned into, uh, you know, a full-time job drinking. It was, it was, um, it, 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 it at the end, it just physically got to the point where I had to drink to be able to function as far as nerve wise. And I can remember when I got out of the business, I got out of the business for a little while. Let's talk about my professional career just for a minute. So I started at Isaiah City. I worked at Isaiah City from 2000 to 2007. I got my PGA of America credentials. 
in 2007, became a member of the PGA, and within about two months, got a head professional job at Perdido Bay Golf Club in Pensacola, Florida. It's actually in Perdido Bay, but it's part of Pensacola. Um, Worked there for exactly one year. It's a semi-private resort course. And then after being there for one year, I got the job, the head golf professional job at Vestavia Country Club in Birmingham, Alabama. Vestavia is a high-end private club. High end at that point it was about forty forty thousand dollar initiation I think and um, uh, I've, I've been fortunate enough to to be at some different kinds of facilities as a city being municipal, uh, Perdido Bay being semi private resort and then um, Vestavia being a high end private. So I've I've had some different kinds of experience, a well rounded resume I would call it. Sure, yeah. Um, and Vestavia was a good job. I was there for about eight years and probably at the end of Vestavia is when my alcoholism was hitting a. Um, hitting its uh, maximum. I was starting to have uh, marriage issues. My kids were getting of the age that I, I don't know exactly what they noticed and what they didn't notice. And when, when I say this, it was, it was taking control of my life and it's hard to give anything else to anybody else when you're, when, when you're um, involved in that to, to that level. Sure. I think this is an interesting, you know, all of this is interesting to talk about because now on the other side of it, you know, you're not married. You don't work at Vestavia anymore. And uh, I think you can see things in a different light than you did then. Um, and so I imagine sort of reflecting a year <laughs> being sober is it must be interesting looking back on all of that and thinking, man, what the hell was going on? Or, you know, I mean, you, you had a lot to deal with in your life during the last five years, really. Um, and that's kind of what is interesting to me about this 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 story that we're talking about you know i mean you and i know each other um what we how we grew up how we were how we are start so this whole idea of a podcast started when um um i started thinking about a about goals of the future of golf as i've come back from this illness that i've had and i've gotten strong enough to play golf again and 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 be out there um and and, and being able to start to play pretty well again i started thinking you know i've got two years till i turn 50 so a goal of mine would be to play in the u.s senior open in 2023 that would be my first opportunity to qualify and um so i started doing a video diary thinking well if i did qualify for it it'd be something cool to have and also if if something happens to me since I was near death last year, it makes you think about, you know, whether you're going to be here or not. And my family would have something to refer to now that we're actually going to talk about this on a podcast that's released once a week. I don't know if my family will talk to me at the end of all this or not, but (laughs) I will, it it should be interesting. So really where my life, you know, the, where, where all of this kind of hit ahead is when I left Festavia in 2015 um, I was now all of a sudden out of out of the business that I've groomed my whole career to be in and it proceeded kind of up the ranks exactly like you should. And now I'm out of the career. I was fortunate to get a sales job right away with um, with a, co- a company selling copiers. Um, and to all of you out there, if you sales is hard and a lot of things, if you ever tried to sell copiers, it is very hard. I want every one of you to think right now. All of you have a copier at your work, and I bet you over 50%, I'd probably say more like 75% of you don't know what brand that copier is. In fact, the only thing you know is if the copier is working or if it's not working. So it's not an easy 
it's not an easy job. But anyway, that was my first non-golf job as a, a professional job. And I did that for about a year. And I got another sales job as a roofing salesman, which is actually a good job, but it was hundred percent commission. And one big problem is I'm scared of heights. Now I wasn't putting the roofs on, but I still really did make that job successful. and needed to get on the roof and inspect it. And I had to depend on other people to do that. So that didn't work out really either. And I was kind of twisting in the wind when I saw on Facebook, my boss at Isaiah City is named Lawrence Hour. He's originally from Australia. He's a PGA member. He's a great guy. I had worked for him at Isaiah City for several years before I left there the first time. And we remained friends. And I just happened to see on Facebook one day about his assistant was leaving. So I gave Lawrence a call just to chit chat about normal everyday stuff. And at the end of the conversation, I told him, I said, hey, you know, I don't know what you're looking for in an assistant, but I'd be happy to come back. And really where I'm going with this story is Lawrence, whether he knew it or not at the time, whether I knew it or not at the time, by bringing me back to Zay City and hiring me really saved my life because I had no health insurance at that time. This is only two years ago when I came yeah. back to Zay City. I had no health insurance at that time. And uh, my health was deteriorating at that point, and I did not know it yet. So Zay City got, is a owned by the city of Mobile. And so it's a municipal job. So I was able to get benefits when I was hired back, not knowing that I was sick. Um, and a year into working at Isaiah is when all this illness came on. So, so thank goodness for having um, health insurance at that time. Or I, you know, I don't know where all this would have ended up. Um, so it's been great to be back at Isaiah city. Um, Brian Aaron, our superintendent, who I also worked with when I was there the first time um, we get along really good. He's super at his job. The golf course looks great. Um, you've been over there, Corey, for a municipal golf course that is worth $43 cart and green fee before 12 o'clock and $35 cart and green fee after 12 o'clock. It's a great old school layout. Um, the greens were redone in, in the late 90s and were made uh, 30% larger and they've got some slopes. We were one of the first courses in the southeast to have Champions Bermuda on it. Um, and it's really a fun, good quality golf course, especially for the price. And it's, I left there for 10 years. And when I came back, I recognized 75% of the people that walked through the door, same guys, same time of day, all, not just one group, all the different dogfight groups and whatnot that play. So it was an easy transition coming. Well, back you know, someone right. should write a book about that place or at least an article because uh, you're right. I'm always nervous when I go play there because all these guys that look like your normal Alabama football fans walk up to the first tee and they hit it, you know, 280 down the middle. And there's a bunch of good golfers uh, that play there. It's kind of a special place. I've never been somewhere where so many sort of, you know, real golfers that just look like the everyman um, play. So that's kind of a unique part of that course. We didn't have that at Oak Mountain when we were growing up, for sure. No, we did not have that at Oak Mountain. And, and Oak Mountain was the same type of golf course as far as being a quality golf course, being open to everybody. Um, you know, the funny thing about Isaiah City is talk about being a course of the people. Our dress code out there is two things, no tank tops and no cutoffs. <laughs> Sounds so, like the side on Caddyshack. So, yeah, so it's it's very uh, welcoming to all golfers. And we have, all you know, juniors and women and all kinds of events and dog fights out there. It's, it's really a neat place. Um, it, it's really a, 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 a neat um, feather in the cap for the city of Mobile 
Isaiah City is. It's been it was open in 1957. Um, it, it used to host the Saratoma Pro Am for years, which was 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 actually a PJ Tour event. Um, we used to have a results page from I think I want to say it was the 1962 Saratoma Pro Am. Arnold Palmer won, and he won two thousand dollars. <laughs> and they paid 30 spots and 30th place won $25. Yeah. And that was wow. a regular PGA tour event to find yourself back at Azalea in recovery and kind of thriving. There must be, uh, and having gone through all that medical crisis must be a huge relief and kind of where you're supposed to be. Uh, it is a huge relief and it does feel like being home. Um, very much so. So I'm, I'm very fortunate. It's given me a, a new attitude on the golf course. I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, even when, when, when all this, when I, even when I started recovering, it looked like I was going to live because basically, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, even as sick as I was until my doctor said, after I was out of the hospital and came back from my, to my liver doctor for my first checkup. And, um, and he, and I was complaining about something. And he said, he said, you, you do realize you almost died two weeks ago. He said, you know, you're going to have some complications here of this and, and you know, you can't rush this. So you need to you need to have a realistic um, outlook. And then that kind of hit me then that, you know, that was it was a little bit closer to a call than I thought. And um, luck, luckily it was because I have tried to quit drinking on and off for the last 15 years. Easy. At least the last 10. I've been to a thousand AA meetings. Um. It, it, and then nothing ever worked. I never was able to put more than two months together. And I was, I was white knuckled and miserable the whole time I was doing it. Um, this, I actually quit about a week before I went in the hospital because I knew I had to, I was trying to avoid getting any kind of withdrawals. But at that point I just, I just quit because it was time. I, I health wise, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And, um, luckily I kind of weighed myself off enough because of the health reasons as we led into that, that I didn't have any problems quitting. Um, and it's probably a good thing I did quit quit a week before I went to the hospital, or I'm not sure that I would have made it to the hospital. Right. Um, but now, having gone through that and not being able to play golf, I mean, just for a while, the focus was getting to work, being able to stand behind that counter for the for my required time, and getting home and getting to bed. And and I would work my 40 hours a week, and on my days off, I literally would only leave the house to go to the store, and I was in bed most of the time sleeping. I mean, I would sleep 12, 15 hours a day, and then it was a project to get out of bed. Part of what I have, um, so I had severe cirrhosis. I have severe cirrhosis of the liver, and part of what came on with that, and it comes on with chemotherapy and some other things, is a uh, is a nerve disorder called neuropathy. I didn't know what it was at first, and I didn't know that's what was affecting me, but it basically makes your hands and feet very sensitive. It makes your feet go numb, and it can make your feet very painful. Um, it's very difficult to, um, I, I can't, I still can't walk in, in, in anywhere dark. I have to have a light on or I'll lose my balance immediately. I sleep, with a, I, I sleep with a light on in case I have to get up. Um, I can't close, if I close my eyes for even one second while I'm walking, I'll literally fall over. Um, and it's, it's been, um, a little bit debilitating on top of the loss of weight and, and all that stuff. So. I've been able to put the weight back on and they're treating the neuropathy with medicine now. And it seems to be getting better. I've gotten to the point now just over the last couple of months where now I'm only sleeping about six or seven hours a night and I'm fine to function. So I'm able to, you know, I'm work four or five days a week and I'm able to play golf on my two days off. My body still hurts. 
Um, and it feels like I, somebody's been beating me up with a baseball bat sometimes, even after just 18 holes with a cart. But um, but I'm able to be out there, and I've actually shot some pretty good scores. And ironically enough, I made my um, my my third hole in one in my life about two months ago. I'm curious for you because Dad was such an inf- influence in our life, and particularly us playing golf. You know, he always took us to play golf, and when we went on vacation, our parents were divorced, but when we spent spring breaks or summers. Uh, we always played a lot of golf. And uh, how much was his influence on your golf game? Because you're always good from the beginning, but um, he had a pretty good eye for it. I mean, did he teach you a lot when you were a kid? Well, so the way that developed is the here. Here's how dad it, dad's influence was on me, and and this worked out perfect. Is I was able to get as good as him very quickly because we started basically at the same time. Yeah, And so, therefore, I wasn't a problem to take along. And it wasn't long before I was beating him and his buddies. And I really never had many lessons anyway. But um, but I, I've, over the years, I've developed, developed a pretty simple and solid golf swing. There's not a whole lot of moving parts to it. By no means is it the best golf swing you can have. But it's it works for me, and it's it's very repeatable. So... Um, it, it was kind of a strange correlation. I don't know. You look back at that and think, you know, maybe if I got right with the right teacher at the right time, things would have been different too. But, but honestly, things wouldn't have been different. The only thing that might have changed things for me is if the first time I drank alcohol, I just didn't like it and it didn't jive with me. But that's not what happened. So, well, two things in that. Uh, maybe my strategy of using a different golf swing every time I swing is not the best idea. Uh, I could have changed that early on. And then secondly, it would it's in it will be interesting to get into later in this um, how you feel your drinking might have affected your professional career, because uh, certainly it did. You know, you're a very talented golfer, uh, always were. And it's curious for all of us that know you and love you, what could have happened without the drinking being an influence? Well, and I think back, I was even thinking about this today as we're leading up to this starting this podcast out. And it, it even affected the end of my college career, quite frankly. So. Um, something, something we'll get into as we move forward and there'll be plenty of stories of some shenanigans between me and Corey. This isn't going to be all serious stuff. So, um, trying to stay with today's format, we're going to talk a little bit about the senior U S open last week for two reasons, for two main reasons. One, because it's my goal to, to try to qualify in, in two years and we'll kind of, um, you know, keep a running diary of that story. And, and as we lead into that, hopefully we'll still be on the air in two years. And that reminds me to tell you guys to, to uh, make sure and follow the podcast. Todd Bailey, a former South Alabama player, who's probably about five or six years older than me. I knew him because he was back in school finishing his degree. He was already out of eligibility, um, qualified for the Senior Open last week. This is his second U.S. Senior Open that he's played in. I think Todd's 53, so I think he played in it. just from Tuscaloosa. He went to the University of South Alabama. He's won the Alabama Open five times. He's finished second in the Alabama Open five times, and he's finished third in the Alabama Open five times, which is really pretty impressive. The Alabama Open, obviously, is open to all professional golfers from the state of Alabama. And he, he said the course was extremely hilly. Now, the U.S. Senior Open is one of the few senior events where everybody has to walk. There's no exception. On the Champions Tour, those guys have the option to ride. So in the U.S. Senior Open, they all have to walk, and it's 
USGA sets up all their events like a U.S. Open, whether it's the U.S. Junior, the Women's the Women's Open, the Women's Senior Amateur. They set them all up like a U.S. Open. So it's interesting to me that they would take a tournament of 50 and older guys and put it on a really hilly golf course Yeah, that they have to walk. I mean, almost rude to a point, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but uh, but anyway, so they um, Jim Furyk ended up winning the tournament and <laughs> – one of the biggest side stories I think of that, oh, he had Fluff on the bag again, which was on who was on his bag for his first U.S. Open win, and also caddied for Tiger at the beginning of Tiger's career. And Fluff is now seventy three and carried that bag up and down those hills for that whole tournament. So we've got another big tournament going on this week: the Open Championship or the British Open, as we like to call it over here. They asked Dustin Johnson that question on the Golf Channel yesterday during his press conference. I thought it was interesting. Dustin Johnson, me as laid back as he is, they said, "What did you call this tournament as a kid, and what did you call it as an? What do you call it now?" He said, "As a kid, I called it the British Open, and now I call it the Open Championship." And they said, "Why do you call it the Open Championship now?" And he paused for a minute. He said, "Because that's its name." <laughs> and they yeah. all started just kind of laughing and they're like, "Well, he just settled the dispute." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny. But anyway, they're playing at Royal St. George's this week. Tournament starts tomorrow. DJ Dustin Johnson just took over number one player in the world again over John Rahm. So both of those guys are looking really good. You got any favorites? Well, you know, and, and DJ also has uh, – I mean, he can do his own recovery podcast. So I think he's kind of interesting. He's had an interesting life. I'm not saying he's going to do well and he hasn't been playing well necessarily, but Ricky Fowler after missing the U.S. Open, and now he's in this tournament – um, he he needs to start making some headway. Or he's going to be one of those players that doesn't just miss the U.S. Open next year. He's going to start missing tournaments and fade away if he doesn't start yeah. making another run right now. It, you think these golfers are just going to be around forever, but it doesn't take much for them to lose their status after a while. I mean, like I said, Ricky Fowler had to qualify for the U.S. Open this year and didn't make it. Yeah, so it's it's not it's not easy just even to stay out there once those guys start going downhill. He's obviously a huge draw for tournaments and for kids, and so it'd be a shame to lose him. Um, uh, another interesting player to watch, I think, would be Colin Morikawa. Yeah, this is interestingly enough with all his kind of wins that he's had, and he's already had a major win. This is his first Open Championship to play in. Really, and a lot of times. You got, got to watch out for that player. I mean, they say you got to learn how to play these things, but this course is playing a little softer than most opens have. It's a lot greener than most opens. The weather is supposed to be fantastic all week, which will be weird. They might have some wind, but there's no rain forecasted. Sometimes these guys playing their first one and they're out there just trying to kind of, they don't really know what to do. So they're just hitting golf shots and not overthinking it. So, right. So he could be dangerous in my Keep opinion. Low, let her run. Is, uh, Hideki Matsuyama playing well right now? I think he's not in this tournament because of COVID. Oh, interesting. I don't know if he had COVID. I can't remember the story with him. For sure, Bubba Watson is not playing in this tournament. He did not test positive for COVID, but he said that he's been around somebody who had COVID. There's been some eyebrows raised about that. Bubba's been talking about he's got depression and all kinds of stuff lately. So there's been some eyebrows raised about maybe he just didn't want to go. But on the other hand... He only lives a couple miles from me. I'll go knock on his door and... See what I can find out. Yeah, do some side reporting on that, Corey, and see what you can yeah, do. Some investigative journalism. Yeah, let me call him right now. Please. And um, so there's been, you know, some eyebrows raised on whether or not he just didn't feel like fooling with it. And and that could be the case as well. I mean, Europe is really strict still on their COVID stuff, so he maybe just didn't want to mess with all that. 
Um, I think Zach Johnson's withdrawn because of COVID. Um, it should be an interesting week. It's a fun tournament to watch. Obviously, it's the last major of the year now. It used to be the PGA used to be the last major, but they've now switched out. They switched the schedule a little bit, and the PGA is now in between the Masters and the U.S. Open, which I like this the way this is better, although it feels it feels to me like the, the major season kind of ends so short ending in July, you know, the beginning of July, but, yeah. but it doesn't really. I mean, it's um, cause you, cause you re you lead right into the FedEx playoffs this year. We've got the Ryder cup here at whistling straight. So it's going to be a busy late summer and fall and golf anyway. So yeah, it should, should be a good time. So, so this is the part of our um, segment, which we are going to call opera for dummies where we're going to give Corey uh two minutes to talk about anything he wants to talk about in the music world. And I kid when I say two minutes, he can talk about it as long as he wants, because actually I, I'm the one editing these, so I can make it two minutes no matter how long he talks. Well, I, you know, it's interesting because uh, when I grew up, I, opera was not on my radar. I grew up in, you know, I was born in Indianapolis. I grew up in Pelham, Alabama. Not exactly the hotbed of opera. And uh, I found opera, musical theater, you know, more people like it than you think. And so moving forward in the future, I'm going to play a little clip of things that I think the, uh, the, the mass public will enjoy. And it'll be a, a little bit of an education hour. My, um, you know, my duty to educate the general public on what I think is interesting opera, just a snippet. You know, opera's long, but there's a saying we have, uh, life is short and opera is long. And it certainly can be. But my wife and I, it's its our family business. We've, uh, we met doing it. We've done it for years. And uh, we certainly know what's good and what's bad and what people like and what they don't like. And so moving forward, I think it'll be my goal to introduce just enough to pique some interest. And then certainly if we're doing a show and people want to tune in, great. Or, you know, in your own community, Um but in the future, that's that's my goal with this segment. Well, and I think that would be fantastic. Here, here's the thing. People may not um, listen. People that I'm around may not be big opera fans. But let me tell you this. When they find out that my brother's an opera singer, everybody who I talk to is interested in that. No, nobody's ever, except for one person. You know who that person was? Buck Wheeler. Buck Wheeler, that's right. You ding, yeah, ding, ding, yeah. ding. Buck Wheeler's a golfer at Isaiah City. He still comes out to Isaiah City, Corey, some. Um, but yeah, well, Buck, we- tell, Buck, you know, we- Buck just, Wheeler feel- was the one person that I saw basically go into tilt mode when you told him you were an opera singer. And uh, But everybody else, pretty much, when I tell him my brother's an opera singer, the other interesting part about that is they um, then, then they asked me about your singing growing up, and I said he didn't. He didn't sing growing up. He took a required voice performance class. He was in the marching band at Mississippi State. Major in music education, correct? Yeah, that's right. Took a yeah. required voice performance class of Miss Smith. Yeah, my original teacher, who yeah. I'm still very close to. Took you under her wing and and said you you got to do this and uh, and uh, a star was born. Well, maybe as an offshoot to this podcast, we're gonna have to do a documentary on why the hell everyone in Zaya City plays golf so well. Because I played golf all. You know, one of the fortunate things about being a shitty golfer and a pretty good opera singer is I've had the opportunity to play with opera donors all over the country at fantastic golf courses. And most of them are horrible at golf. Most everyone I play with is horrible at golf, except for the people at Isaiah City. 
it's an amazing it's an amazing crew out there really and i, I will say i think the game we i think we have more dogfight groups out there now and maybe the I, I shouldn't say the play's not as good. We still have your young pros coming through there some. Sheldon Stanzawick right now is probably about to turn pro. He shot a 60 out there from the Blue Tees a couple months ago and um, and had, had about a 20-footer on 18 for 59. Really? I mean, that's that's pretty amazing, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he's a 25-year-old kid. He played at Spring Hill College, I believe, um, and he uh, hits the ball a mile. He's a real nice kid. He's always out there working on his game. I call him a kid because I'm getting old now. Um, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, we still have that kind of stuff going through there as well as, well as, as the other guys that, like you said, I, I play with a guy today named Sam Marone. Sam has moved down here from New Jersey. He's retired. Um, he, he, he doesn't quite look like somebody out of the Goodfellas, but, he, but, but you would believe it maybe. Yeah. He, he's definitely a blue collar guy that's worked his whole life. And, He's in his early early to mid seventies, and he played bad today and shot seventy four. Wow! I mean, so it's just you know, and and he shot sixty five last week, I think. So we still have that amazing kind of crew of people out there that you wouldn't. First of all, you wouldn't walk up and say, "Okay, this guy's going to shoot sixty five, and he, or he's going to play bad and shoot six seventy four um, at age seventy four. So it's definitely an interesting place. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Well. We're about out of time for our first episode, Corey, and um, I just want our listeners to know, all four of them, that um, this is going <laughs> to get um, a little bit easier as we go on, probably a little less wooden on my part. Um, oh, you sound great. You're natural. And it, as we as we get into this, we're going to tell more um, life stories and less of this setup. I feel like today we were heavy on on at least I was heavy on trying to get my background out there um, and, and make this all meld together. But we, we will, um, you know, as I've told you before, part of my goal of this podcast is not only a kind of um, document what's going on, trying to qualify for the U S senior open, but is also for other people with addiction problems to uh, maybe get something from this and find out that, uh, you know, number one, people, of all walks of life have addiction problems and that, um, you know, if I can stop some, if I can get somebody to, to take care of their addiction before they almost die, that would be amazing for me going forward in my life. I'd like to be able to, I would like for my story to be able to inspire people to, 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 to become sober because yeah. I will tell you this in the last couple months, it's like a light bulb came on at me and I, I've had more energy. All of a sudden, these thoughts are coming back. You've seen how hard I've been working to get this podcast going, and as well as playing golf every day on my days off and working on my game. And and um, it's it's I, I never knew that it could be like this. It was just easier to drink and forget about it all. Wow. Yeah. And there's really no way to navigate your life, especially with a wife now, ex-wife, and and two two wonderful children that I have. So um, it's 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 been an interesting journey thus far, and I hope the rest of the journey is as interesting in a positive way. In the meantime, the listeners are going to get to hear some of the funny side stories of this and some of the heartfelt stories. Um, you've obviously we've been close our whole life and have been involved in a lot of shenanigans and a lot of fun stuff and some good stuff, too. So, yeah, it should be an interesting podcast. And again, 
golfdrinkinglife at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts. Um, forward this to your friends. Um, hit follow. Coming back next Thursday with another episode, and it will be less wooden, better stories. We'll get into some more specific. Um, you know, we've, we've got some pretty funny stories that revolve around drinking. <laughs> Anything you want to say leading us out, Corey? No, thanks for, uh, you know, it's, it's good to hear your story. And as close as I am to you, you know, it's hard to, I mean, it was hard to go through as a family member. So I'm, I'm glad you are where you are and I'm excited to be doing this. And well, you know, at very least, Corey, this will make us spend an hour on the phone together each week. Essentially, we're just recording our phone call. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And trying, to pretend, to, trying to pretend like we're on the radio. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and hopefully we can do this every week. I, you know, I have some um, intentions of maybe doing this twice a week, but I'll be honest with you right now with the effort that's gone into this. Um, I think once a week is going to be plenty for a while. And we'll oh, yeah. see when the big time sponsors start rolling in. Maybe we'll get it up to twice a week or whatever they want us to do. But uh, yeah, as soon as we get 10 listeners, then we'll be twice a week. Yeah. So um, thanks again, Corey. And uh, listeners, you can catch this every week um, on should go live every Thursday morning, um, available on all your favorite podcasts, um, apps, and, and websites. So thank you very much, and we'll, we'll see you next week. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N.